Moncrief on News Talk. Joanna Fortune, our resident parenting expert, joins us now to go through some questions. Um, if you want to send some in, please do. Afternoon at Newstalk.ie is the email or text 53106. If you don't get to them today, we'll hold them over to next week. Joanna, how are you today? I'm great, Tom. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And uh, I have a gansy load of questions for you, yeah. so we better get straight <laughs> into them. Um, this listener says, my four-year-old has regressed in relation to using the toilet over the past few months. Uh, training started mid last year went very well with him telling us when his wee or his poo was coming and running to the toilet and holding it until he got there now though he doesn't tell us at all he just goes in his pants he doesn't tell us when it's been done either and he seems very happy to continue playing with his soiled or wet pants we've tried constantly asking him reminding him etc and I've tried talking to him uh, and not reacting to it tried to celebrate little achievements and things but there's been no real change in the results why is he suddenly doing this? Any advice we appreciate it as this is going on for months and it's the same issue arising in crash. Oh, the poor little thing. You know, Tom, I always think that we can underestimate uh, the impact life events, you know, stresses can have on our very young children's lives. And when you're four years old, three, four, five, look, even a bit older, to be honest, you, but especially at his age, he really doesn't have the emotional language or fluency to say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm emotionally exhausted, this has been a really stressful few months. And instead, our children at this age really rely on their behavior as a means of communicating underlying emotional experiences and particularly emotional distress. So we always look in this instance that stress, worry, they tend to be the most common causes of toileting regression in this age group. And a stress, by the way, I and mean, you have to, as an adult or as a parent, switch your mind to thinking about what would be stressful in the eyes and life of a four-year-old, not in my adult life. So think very carefully about any changes in his life that could be life at home, that could be not seeing people he typically saw a lot of, maybe a new sibling, a house move, any changes or tension in adult relationships at home. It could also be something in his external um, routine, you know, around crash. For example, has one of his key childminders changed or moved? Has he moved up a room? Has anything changed like that that would, you know, go alongside this change in overt behavior with him? So always be curious about everything going on in his life because those life events and stresses can absolutely cause uh, or trigger even a regression like this. We would also look at, now it doesn't seem to be the case here, but just for anyone else listening, that if your child has a regression to this extent, just be honest with yourself, were they ever really fully, fully toilet trained or were they mostly there most of the time and they hadn't acquired full training because then it's not so much a regression it's that it hadn't embedded now in this instance you know as the parent reports that it definitely seems like he had achieved full toilet training and this is in fact a regression but also rule out any physical stuff like I always like to rule out the physical things before we decide that it's emotional so think about you know could he be constipated in which case going to the toilet and sitting there that's painful and uncomfortable so he will avoid it. Could he be brewing a little UTI, urinary tract infection, anything like that? Um, and it, if you have any doubt about that, bring a urine sample down to your GP and have him checked and at least to rule it out. The other thing that jumps out at me here though, Tom, is that 
here's a little guy and he's not telling you when he's soiled because he's so busy playing. And we can again underestimate at this age the importance and how fully absorbing play is for our children. So he could be in his imaginative world deeply immersed in that rich play and it just isn't occurring to him to stop or he's so distracted that it's like, oh yeah, I kind of feel like I need to go, but I'm really into this play right now, so I'll just leave it. It'll be fine. And then of course it's not fine. So it, that's actually very common in this ages. So what I would also say is if that's the case, you know, if it's distraction based, if it's that he's so absorbed in play, uh, really try to involve him, not in a shaming way, not giving out to him or anything, of course, but involve him in the cleanup. Oh gosh, there's been an accident. Come on and we clean it together. And the next time that your body is telling you you need to go to the toilet, we're going to pause our play and get to the toilet and then come back. Think about books now. I mean, there are endless books in this genre out there. I mean, I wouldn't even try to name a few for you. You're all well used to me saying everyone poops when there's a child who really isn't doing the poop thing on the toilet is an excellent book. And whether or not Daniel the Tiger or Daniel's Neighborhood, I think it might be called that that little cartoon TV show is a part of your family life. It was a big part of our house here. So we know Daniel and the neighborhood very well. But there was a lovely book we used around potty training as well. And because it has lovely songs, it has interactive push buttons. And it's simply called Daniel Goes to the Potty by Maggie Testa. And even if you don't watch the show, it's actually a perfectly lovely, enjoyable little book. A book like that can actually just refresh and remind him how to do it. Basically, go back to basics, go back to what did work when you were training him, structure it with a routine of scheduled bathroom trips. You know, you're going to say to him, hey, pause, we got to go to the toilet, even if he's not looking to go until he starts taking those cues himself. Remind him how smart his body is and his body has a great way of letting him know when he needs to pause play and go to the toilet and increase his sensory messy play, get really gloopy, messy play-doughy, anything that's going to be really tactile and exploratory is going to help him come out of his little busy, preoccupied head and help him cue, take the cues and tune into his body. I think a lot of that will help. Okay, great stuff. Um, on to this one, and I, I think a few adults uh, might be able to take some of this advice now that you're, you're going to be giving us here. How do I help my nine-year-old daughter to make decisions for herself? She's always struggled to make her mind up on things since she could walk. When she does finally decide, for example, to buy something um, or clothes, something to wear, she never seems fully satisfied that she's made the right decision and seems unhappy when she should be delighted with a treat or something. We've often spent ages in shops where she's ruminating over what to pick and sometimes there are tears and moods that don't lift until hours later. Her younger sister, aged five, is definitely more decisive and might choose something very quickly indeed. Often then my nine-year-old will then change her mind and pick the same thing. I presume she feels jealous or possibly that her decision was not as good. I think I need to help boost her confidence and self-esteem but I don't know how to go about this. Any advice would be great. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, lack of uh, decisiveness. I've, I've seen it in people. They can bring this into their entire lives. This, this may never go Absolutely. away. So what can they do? Yeah, do you know, I think you're so right, Tom, that this is relatable for all age groups, regardless of childhood or adulthood. And we tend to see it also, or at least in my work I do, re-emerge quite strongly in adolescents as well, where adolescents are filled with self-doubt and that can spill over into life decisions as well. But this one, I think, is a great reminder to all of us, you know, that regardless of how old our children are, that, that I mean, in terms of how young they are specifically, but to afford them decision-making opportunities from toddlerhood. 
And, you know, I don't mean free reign. I do think we all lost the run of ourselves at one stage of parenting, saying children should have all the choices. And actually, that can be quite overwhelming and scary for children. They do need to know in an experienced way that there is somebody bigger, stronger and kind who knows how to keep them in the situation in control. So when I say giving your toddlers decisions and choices, what I mean is you say, do you want option A or B? you're perfectly happy with A and B, but they get to make that choice and you get that to say to them, great choice. Oh, I could see you really took your time thinking about which one would be the best and then you decided it. And you're always reaffirming for them that they know how to make choices, they know how to make the best choice for themselves and it's good to pause and consider before you make that choice. So you can do that anything, Tom, you know, from a young age when you're having a meal together and you say, would you like milk or water? But you don't say, what would you like to drink? Because they're going to say they want some kind of sugar-filled drink or juice that you've no intention of giving them and you're having a row that should never have been an option to begin with. So if you can reaffirm it in that way from a young age, you'll see it pay dividends as they continue to grow. It's not that they'll never wobble, but it certainly is a help. Now, the other thing you want to do while you're doing this is always praise effort over outcome because sometimes indecisiveness, and that can also be linked with self-doubt. You know, I'm not sure I can trust myself. I'm not sure I can trust myself to make good choices and decisions. And if it isn't the perfect choice, then it was wrong. So I can hold myself to very high standards. And if it's not perfect, it was a failure. So you want to focus on praising effort over outcome. And I think such a good example in this letter about the choosing of an an outfit. Um, You know, I, I think if I go into a shop and there's so much I want and there's so much color and there's so much nice things and I just want it all actually, it would be really hard to pick one thing. So if you're going into the shop, you could use that more structured piece of helping by picking, letting her look of course, but picking out say three or four things that you know she would like and that you're happy to buy by the way as well. And then you hold up and say, well, which of these four? Why don't you just choose from four? Because maybe choosing from a whole shop is overwhelming. Because when you say you presume she feels jealous when her sibling then has a different choice and she wants to change her mind and pick the same thing, I don't think it's jealous. I think it's the latter. I think it's that she doubts that her decision was good. So that would be more about indecisiveness than jealousy. They can look the same like, oh, I want what she has. But actually, it's I don't think I made the right choice. They're different. Okay. So I think that structuring by giving three options or four options and gradually, and I don't mean the next time you go to the shop, but very gradually extending her decision-making window so that the day comes that she can walk into a whole shop and make a choice for herself without doubting it, or that she can see that you can make a choice, get it wrong or regret that choice and learn from it and say, next time I'll do differently, I'll choose differently, I will use a different way of coming to my choice. That's what you really want to do. At home, I want you to support her. If you're not already doing it, start. And if you are doing it, extend what you're doing. Support her learning to do things for and by herself. This could be learning how to scramble eggs, how to make a basic meal, how, you know, to what laundry goes where, how to load up the washing machine, like household tasks that require some responsibility, but moreover, independence. Because the more she feels that she can do for herself by herself, the more she will begin to believe in her capacity to make good choices for herself as well. So spot those opportunities for decision making. Always tell her it was a great choice and praise the effort that went into the choice. I could see you took your time. Um, Actually, I could see you were really drawn to this one straight away. You didn't even need to stop and think. You just went for it. And now that you did, you're wondering, oh, might I have chosen differently if I did wait? Maybe next time you'll do it differently.
and you leave it at that. The key, though, Tom, with all of this and what can lead to indecisiveness embedding, as you said at the beginning, is as parents, we have to stay out of the fix or change agenda. We can't jump in and say, I see you struggling. It's unbearable for me when you struggle. Let me just make that choice for you. Let me just tell you what to do. Let me fix this worry. Let me fix this stress for you. Because actually, as long as you keep doing that, she will never learn that she has those answers within herself. So you have to kind of bear witness to the struggle. Don't jump in and rescue, but bear witness to it. And then keep reaffirming that you'll find your way out of this. I know you can make a good choice. Okay, and she learns more to trust yourself. Uh, We'll have more of your questions after a quick break. You can send them in now to afternoonnewstalk.ie. We'll be back with more questions after this. You're very welcome back to the Creep Show. Tom Dunn sitting in for Sean today on News Talk. Joanna Fortune, parenting expert, is with us answering your parenting questions. A few of your texts on that, the child who's slow to make decisions. I can remember the first time I was allowed to pick my own clothes when shopping with my mother. I felt so grown up, so independent. It's amazing how something simple can make such a big difference. And a listener saying, I only ever give my kids two choices. We were there all flipping day otherwise. I do the same myself, to be honest. The brain doesn't choose right if I branch out too much. I hear you. So, Joanna, (laughs) this one for you now. How to tell a 14-month-old not to hit. I have a bright and energetic 14-month-old girl. She's very affectionate and loving. However, she has recently started to hit or slap my husband and I on the face. She usually has a big smile, and I can tell she's either overly excited or pushing a boundary or both because she's normally well-behaved and so hasn't been told no that often beyond the usual not touching something she shouldn't be uh, or playing where she shouldn't be playing. For those instances, she will approach the stove, as an example, lightly touch the handles and say no to herself, as if to remind herself she's not supposed to play with them. So how do we explain that hitting is not acceptable? We've repeatedly told her no uh, using serious facial expressions. We've held her wrists and demonstrated how to be gentle by stroking our faces, emphasising the word and the feeling of a gentle touch. We've tried using words to tell her that it hurts, and I've even resorted to a timeout where she kept slapping us, all with a big joyful face, as though she was splashing bubbles in the tub instead of slapping my face. What do we do? Just to add, since she was so young, she's only ever known her parents and her grandparents. She has never met any other kids or playmates. She hasn't experienced any roughhousing from her own peers. Perhaps this is relevant. She is a COVID child, isn't she? She's actually been born... During this entire era, it's all she's ever known. And you know, Tom, she's also classically 14 months old, you know, and at this age, they they hit, they certainly do, they kick, they bite, they they go through the gauntlet of charming behaviours, but they're not doing it with the, you know, with the intention of causing a hurt. So she's not hitting you to hurt you. In fact, that cause and effect level of thinking isn't even there yet. So she's hitting as a means of expressing something. She doesn't yet have, you know, the words, the verbal capacity to express herself another way. And you're quite rightly linking it here that she's overexcited. She's pushing a boundary or both. It is both. And actually, that's what she's supposed to be doing at this age. You know, while it's not parentally pleasant, it is developmentally normal for a child this age to push boundaries. It's our job to put them in place. It is their job to test push against and seek to get around them or through them in some cases. So everything you're doing is actually appropriate, except I'm going to say to you, maybe don't be doing timeouts because she's a far, far too young for us. Timeouts in their classic way of doing it, you know, you separate the child, they sit there, they reflect on what they've done. You come back in a designated time and you make a repair with them. 
I'm not a huge advocate of those anyway, Tom, but for children under seven who emotionally co-regulate rather than self-regulate, it's very difficult to sit in isolation when you're dysregulated and make sense and make meaning of what's happened because you have to understand that my overt behavior, the thing I did or said, was underpinned by an emotional state that I can now make sense of and come to you and make repair. I mean, actually, children sit there, they think about everything except the thing they did, and they know that the way off that step or wherever you have them is to say sorry, but it doesn't mean they mean it at all, and it doesn't correlate with changing the behavior. I would, you know, stay with her, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I think distraction and redirection are definitely your your best parenting tools at this age. But given, you know, it, you're, you're wondering, is it when she's overly excited and she hits out? Maybe take her hands and do that whole with your face and the tone of voice, prosody of voice and facial expression is definitely the way to convey no, not happy about that. If she hits one of you, the other of you tends to the injured parent, if you like, and lots of attention okay. there. So she sees, oh, hang on a second, the hit E gets the attention, not the hitter. And then take those busy, flapping, hitting little hands, hold them gently yet firmly and redirect her into something like row, row, row the boat, um, you know, ring a rosy, something that involves movement, singing and connection while holding those hands. That's key to this. And then making sure she's getting lots of physical play. I know you've mentioned here she's not getting much rough housing, but you could do a lot of that as parents. You know, I think we underestimate in this age group that actually we are enough for our children. As parents, as caregivers, we are enough for them. So if you take her outside and lots of running and fake chasing and falling over and spinning around and grabbing her under the arms and swinging her around, lots of that kind of exciting upward regulating physical play is going to be really good and then also when in doubt i always say when in doubt break out the bubbles have bubbles have them everywhere your pockets your handbags your glove boxes in the car always have a packet a bottle of bubbles i mean the ones that you blow not the ones you drink just to be really clear about that um, yes. but i do think how, <laughs> i should specify maybe at the stage of covid <laughs> pandemic which kind of bubbles but those are always especially with this age but any age you can ask her to chase the bubbles you know hit the bubbles punch the bubbles pop the bubbles stamp on them you can use that kind of sensory physical play to redirect and distract her but i think this will actually work itself out as she begins to acquire more language and to be better able to co-regulate with you and express herself in other ways. She'll certainly benefit from, you know, time with other children. Don't get me wrong, you know, when she has that opportunity. But it's not yeah. a need she has. You can work this out yourself. Okay, I keep thinking, for whatever reason, my, my dog keeps going through my mind. When we got him as a pup, um, we had to socialize him. So we brought him along to puppy training where he learned, you know, <laughs> to what degree you can bite other dogs <laughs> before, before it becomes an issue. Back. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not advocating biting your child back. Do something else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's bubbles. Send in the bubbles. Um, right then, we also have a shy three-year-old for you. We have three children, a four-year-old boy, a boy who turns three next month. And another girl just born in January. Our boy has always been a lovely disposition, boisterous, fun, a bit of a character. However, he's recently become very shy when we meet others, children of his age and adults, including his grandparents. He gets on great with his older sister and she is now starting a lot of talking for him in those environments. He also interacts very well with his baby sister. He's become very attached to his mother around bedtime over the last six months, insisting she reads him stories. But otherwise, we've noticed 
We haven't noticed any difference in interaction with us. We're sure, or at least we're hoping, that this is a phase possibly resulting from the recent lockdown when he interacted with no one but us until a couple of weeks ago and or the arrival of his baby sister. To date, we haven't done or said anything about it, but we'd appreciate your advice. Oh, I think, you know, you're naming the problem and the solution all, you know, the the cause of it here and even the solution, you know, giving it time all at once in here. So we've got a little guy who has a willing interpreter in his sister who will rush to his aid and explain and speak for him. A new arrival, which is always unsettling for even now, look at when they're excited about it, it's still unsettling. And, you know, also the pandemic, it's everything in all of this. I would look at, you know, I think this the impact of the pandemic, especially this more recent lockdown. I'm just struck by the more recent one was, you know, around and soon after Christmas time, exactly when your third child was also being born. There was a lot going on then. I think it has affected lots of young children this time more than the last time and certainly more than the first one. So giving this time is definitely a good idea. I think what you could do is take some of these scenarios and you could involve his sister, but in playing, you might put her in a role where she can't speak for him. So she might be another shopper. If you were role playing shops or cafes, for example, she could be the the, the serving staff taking the order, but he has to make the order and you're going to sit with him. And if she keeps jumping in and saying, oh, you'd like a donut, wouldn't you? That as the parent, you can say, oh, he doesn't like donuts in this game. Let's think what he would like himself and give him that space and time to play it out. That gives him practice of speaking up and speaking for himself, doing it within the safety of role play in the familiar company of you, his sister and his home environment. That then will transfer out when he's in a situation like a shop or a cafe, back when any of us are allowed to do that, that he knows what he needs to say and how to say and do it. Play as a family unit together as best you can. I'm holding in mind you've got a newborn here and a very busy house with four, three and baby. Busy house. Oh, very busy house. So, you know, consider games you can play from your armchair. Armchair play would be perfectly valid here where you send your children, you know, for a lap of the house and time how quick they can do it, going, leaving you and coming back to you, that you might draw out using pictures, not words, given their age, as a simple, basic little treasure hunt and hide little treats that they can find. It could be crayons and some paper, and then they can sit and draw a picture, and then they can present their pictures and talk about them or hang them up as you can stick them to the walls or the doors, you know, as if it was an art gallery and invite them to talk about their pictures, things like that that you can do. Um, And I think you could also play a game where you have his sister use only action. So she can't speak, but she's almost miming and he has to interpret with words what she's doing. And I think that could be a nice role reversal that deals with it in a playful way rather than saying to her, don't speak for your brother, because they won't understand that. She's only doing that to help. So he will speak what she's communicating non-verbally. And you can model really obvious ones now in that as well. You could lead by example. Um, Increase his sensory play, increase his story play as well, though. You know, the little miniatures, doll's house characters or trucks or dinos increase that type of play that involves serve and return. You say, he says, you say, he says, so that he gets used to that. But hold in mind that being shy is not a problem. I do want to emphasize that. Shyness is not a character flaw. It's a character trait. So that may be part of his personality is to tend towards shyness. And that's not a problem unless it is having a a pervasive negative impact across areas of his life. You know, it's preventing him engaging in social situations. It's preventing him participating fully in preschool. 
Otherwise, we don't psychopathologize shyness. There's nothing wrong with being shy. Okay. Impact of COVID is massive and all this isn't. I have to say, Joanna, my favorite yeah. advice this week is the bubbles. I think if if I was in <laughs> Uh, if I was on in the situation you're in, I'd be I'd be writing out prescriptions for bubbles to, to most people. That came I, to see I'm me. telling you, Do I you... would have them everywhere, Tom. Everywhere, pockets, <laughs> handbags, glove boxes. I have those little party pack of bubbles everywhere you could imagine. Because when it's all going horribly wrong, that's what's going to work for you. Yeah, it's bubbles twice a day for you, my friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joanna, thank you very much as always. You can listen back to the Parenting Podcast on the News Talk app after the break. Where Amazon pay their taxes. Moncrief on News Talk. It's time to hit the switch on your energy supply. Make the switch to SSE Airtricity right now. And not only will you be joining Ireland's largest green energy provider, you'll also save 33% on electricity and gas. Yes, 33%. Go to sseairtricity.com today and get your 33% discount exclusively online. SSE Airtricity. This is Generation Green. EAB 2168 euro and 23 cent. Offer online only from the 10th of the 1st, 22. Rates valid from the 1st of the 5th, 22. Subject to change. One year standard unit rate for new home gas and electricity customers and direct debit enable. For details of EAB, T's and C's, rates, exit fee, standing charge and green energy claims, see sseairtricity.com.